You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. I want to talk to you about a message about one thing that we need to get right. One thing that we need to get right. And so I just want to talk to you about that this morning. If you could turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 3, we're just going to get right into the Word today. Um, And I just want to take a look at a familiar passage of Scripture. Um, It's a conversation between two people conversation that a man named Nicodemus had with Jesus. And Jesus teaches him something that's very essential and very important. Then all of Nicodemus's years of training as a Pharisee, he just didn't realize. You know, you can spend your entire life in church or being religious and never truly understand what it means to have a relationship with God. And so, Jesus meets with Nicodemus, and we look in verse 1, and it says there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Underline. That's really important there. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you, that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes and where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered him and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him and said, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now I want us to pause there for a minute. Because we're going to get to those verses later, and, and probably one of the most oft-quoted verses in all of Scripture. But before we get there, I just want to do a little background. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus had something that he didn't have and that he wanted. And that despite all of his years of religious training, he uh, understood religion, but he didn't understand salvation. I want you to know today, very importantly, that religion in and of itself cannot save. Religion is the expression of fidelity to a certain set of beliefs. But unless those beliefs are deeply held in your heart, they're just religious observance. Religion in and of itself cannot save the soul. Jesus makes it clear what must happen. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus didn't say, well, your knowledge will save you. Your religiousness will save you. Your membership to a church will save you. No, he told them you must be born again, and he said this emphatically. What does it mean to be born again? To be born again means to 
die to the old life and to be brought into a new birth with faith in Christ. It's going from death to life. It's getting a fresh start. It's going from being an unbeliever to a believer, from a non-Christian to a Christian, from someone who followed their own self to someone who follows Jesus now. And so it's so important to understand that. But we come to the verse that's probably the most quoted in the Bible, John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And sometimes people stop reading chapter 3 there. It focuses on the love of God and the need for belief in Jesus, but that's where most people stop without going any deeper. But what kind of belief is Jesus speaking about? Just belief in God, belief in Jesus existed, belief that Jesus is a good teacher. What does Jesus mean? Because, you know, you can believe in God and not be saved. You can believe that God exists, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Why? Because if you ask anybody who's not a Christian on the street, What is God like? Everyone has a different idea of what that means. Some believe in the Judeo-Christian God. Some believe in a God of kind of their own making, just a bunch of things that they've heard and that they like, and they'll tell you what God is. So sometimes when we hear a person say, well, I believe in God, we're like, oh, they're a Christian. Not always. Belief in God or that there is a God or higher power does not make you a Christian. Being a Christian means being a follower of Jesus. That means I've put my faith in him as the only means of salvation. Not that he's one path of many, not that every religion eventually leads to God, but rather that you are putting yourself in a very exclusive category where you're saying, I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and you've chosen to not only believe in him, but give your life to him and follow him. That's what it means to be a Christian because there are people in this world that might believe in God but they don't have a biblical worldview of who God is. A lot of people who don't go to church believe in God. James 2.19 says, you believe there is one God? Good, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So if demons believe that there's a God, does that mean there's salvation for them? No, of course not. It means that they acknowledge that there is a God and that there's a real God and that he should be understood and that he should be feared. But let's go back to uh, our verse in 3, 16 and 17 onward. So I want you to understand there's a difference between believing in God and putting your faith in him. Faith and following Jesus makes you a Christian. The word Christian literally means follower of Christ. So if you say, I'm a Christian then you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. Not that you're religious, not that you're spiritual, which is another word that the world uses in the world we live in, but you're more than that. You're like, no, 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 you need to understand, I'm not religious, I'm not spiritual, I'm not mystical. I'm a follower of Jesus. Make no mistake, and there is no confusion. Let's take a look back at John 3 and the verses that follow, verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world 
but the world that through him might be saved. And he who believes in him, the Son, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practices evil, hates the light, and does not come into the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does have the truth comes into the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. So these next few verses put salvation and the love of God in its proper context. It's important that we understand God's love in this way. Otherwise, we'll think that the only reason that Jesus came was to love us and woo us into loving him as though he's trying to recruit you for a team because you're super awesome, okay? You'll hear a lot of preaching like that. It's like, listen, God loves you so much because you're super awesome, and he'd really love you to become part of his team, and he really has a great purpose for your life. He does have a great purpose for your life. He does have meaning for your life. He does love you with all of who he is. But if you don't understand why he loved you, you will look at it as though, well, I can take it or leave it. I can take or leave this love. I'll give you an example. If someone tells you that they love you, but you don't love them back, it's really only a one-sided love. Have you ever had someone tell you that they love you, but you had to break it to them that you don't feel the same way? Like, oh, man, I... I, I love you. Like maybe the, that person worked up all their courage to kind of like tell you that they loved you and they came out with the words and, and the worst thing in the world is for you to have to break it to someone and say, you know what? I think you I look at us as just kind of friends. Or worse, maybe you're the one that, uh, you know, you've had to tell someone that, they lo- that you love them but then hearing those words towards you. I love you. You don't know how much I love you. I love you more than life itself. And it's like, and you're okay. (laughs) That's heartbreaking. Loving someone doesn't always mean you're loved in return. Moms and dads, you know that to be true, right? Just loving someone doesn't always mean there's a guarantee that you'll be loved in return. There's got to be more to it. This is why for a lot of people in the world, hearing that God loves them really doesn't do anything for them for a couple reasons. Number one, they have love in their family. I feel loved. I have my friends to love me. I I feel love for my friends. Or even, dare I say, they love themselves. One of the signs of the end, end times in 2 Timothy 3, 2 is that people will be lovers of themselves. So really when it comes to, you know, God loving them as though there's some kind of deficiency of love in their life, they don't care because they're getting all the love they want. Hey, I love myself. I'm pretty good. I like where I'm going. I've got my feet going in the right direction. I've got plans for my life. I'm doing okay. Or I've got all the love I need. I've got all the love I need in the room. And it's only when things go badly, Right? It's only when the world falls apart that you go, I need God. So for them, telling someone that love them is just the same thing as trying to tell somebody that doesn't love you, I love you, and having nothing in return. Church, if we don't get a proper understanding of God's love, then we won't be able to correctly communicate it to the world. If we fail in communicating to the world 
uh, then we will, that if they, we communicate to the world that God's love is only subjective, then they will see it as something they could take it or leave it. It's not something they need. Without it, love becomes number one. Some R's to help us to remember, a love without reason. A love without reason. We have to understand why God loves us. God doesn't just love us because, hey, I want you to join my team, and I think you'd be a really good thing, as though he's scouting for, like, the sports combine or trying to add you to an NFL team. Don't look at it that way. Instead, you have to understand that God's love has a reason behind it. Number one, first and foremost, he created you. God created you purposefully, meaningfully, that he created each and every person in this room, all the handsome and beautiful people in this room. God created you with your own look, with your own talents, with your own abilities. He created you purposefully, wonderfully made. But more than just the fact that he, like your heavenly father, created you and has love for you as children, he loves you as well because... In his great mercy, he saw that we were headed for destruction. You must view the love and understand the love that he has for us. It's kind of like if your son or daughter was 8 or 10 years old and you live on a busy street and the ball goes bouncing into the street and your son or daughter goes running into the street to get the ball and there's a car coming, love motivates you to go rescue. You go and grab that child and and you pull them away and they're yelling and screaming. They don't understand what just happened, but you just literally saved them from destruction. The reason why God loves us is because he knew we were headed for destruction. The second thing we need is a recognition of our condition. Verse 18 is the dagger in the heart of the thought that we were fine without faith in Jesus. It says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, for he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Think about that for a minute. So if you, if you just stop at 15 and 16 and 17 and you don't read onward, you just think that God just loves and there's nothing, there's no other reason why he loved or no other reason why he came. He came because he recognized that we are lost without him. Let me reemphasize that verse there. Is that he who does not believe is already condemned. Wow, that's a difficult word to hear, isn't it? To know that you are uh, apart from God, that you are far from him, that you're enemies of God without him coming. Jesus come, didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He didn't come to condemn it, but to confront its sinful state and to give man a choice to look to Jesus and live or continue down their own path and die in their sin. Verse 18 confronts us with the reality that if we don't put our faith in Jesus, we don't have any hope of eternity. We don't have any hope of salvation. I wish I could tell you that being a member of Living Hope Church is all you need, and you could just show the certificate when you showed up. I wish I could tell you that, you know, you being part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes or being part of, uh, you know, the Association of Christian Businessmen or because that you, you know, taught Sunday school or you went to Awana, I wish I could tell you that because you went to those things, you could show your little card to heaven and they'd be like, oh, good, great. As if you didn't have it, you're like, I had that card here somewhere, where is it? 
And you wouldn't be letting me because it's none of those things. It's great that you are part of those things. It's great that you're active in those things. But if you don't have a genuine faith in Christ that's a life-transforming, changing faith in Christ, and all you have is religion, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to be enough to make the trip. Because if we understand the state of the world and the state of mankind before Christ came, then we would know the reason why Jesus came. We were already condemned, not just because of our sin, but because of original sin. Adam, the first man, sinned and disobeyed God, and mankind was separated from God. But even more than that, none of us are completely innocent when it comes to sin. If we look over our lives, we would see that there were times that we lied, we stole, we said off-color things, we did wrong things, we thought wrong thoughts, maybe we acted in anger or in violence. There are certain times in our life that maybe there are things that you're not proud of. Apart from Christ, there is no hope of wiping that out or finding forgiveness. Jesus looked at the state of things, the world that we were living in, and for this reason he came. Because people were living in darkness and they were avoiding the light, Jesus came to shine the light into the darkness and to seek and save the lost. It was his desire to save man from sin that prompted God's love to action. Love will always prompt action, or at least it should. Your love for your family should always prompt action. Your love for your fiancé should always prompt action. Your love for your spouse should prompt action. Your love for your church, dare I even say it, it should prompt you to action. It should prompt you to want to do something for God. It should prompt you to want to serve him faithfully. We sometimes love God in such a haphazard, casual way that if you were in a relationship with somebody and you communicated the way that you did, or if you woke up someday like, I don't know if I feel in love with you, you wouldn't be in that relationship much longer. Imagine waking up next to your spouse and go, I just don't feel like I love you today. I don't feel very close to you today. I don't feel like we're the same that we used to be today. I got news for you. Probably if you communicated that to her, you might get some funny looks. You might even get into an argument over it. But we look at our love to God, something different, as though it's so passive. It's so um, haphazard that there's times where we love him where we're not sure I love him. Like, but yet he's so faithful to us in spite of that. He shows his goodness to us in the midst of that. That's what's amazing about following the Lord and loving the Lord is that he is unchanging even though we are changing. He is faithful even though we are unfaithful. Understanding love is about understanding lostness. Understanding that there's nothing else in this world that can save us. Not our good deeds, not our membership to different clubs, not our our education or our qualifications, not our bank account. None of those things can save us. Only Jesus can save us. If we don't understand God's love, then it becomes a love without, number three, rescue. God's love is a rescuing kind of love. It rescues us from our sinful and destructive state. God's love saves us from ourselves. It saves us from the consequences of sin. Your view of God's love for you will change when you see Jesus as your active deliverer rather than a passive lover of your soul. 
see him as your active deliverer rather than a passive lover for your soul. Because you could tell people out in the world all day long, God loves them, God loves them. They're like, "Eh, yeah, so what? God loves me. Why wouldn't he? Look how great I am. I'm awesome. Like there's some people that just think they're so great that why wouldn't God love them? And they view God in the wrong sort of way. So the love for God is like we must see him as someone who saved us and rescued us from ourselves and rescued us from destruction. Rescue is not something that you can do yourself. You cannot rescue yourself. This sounds ridiculous, but it should be true. If you're drowning, you can't save yourself from drowning. You need someone to jump in and pull you out of the water and save you from drowning. If you're in a burning building and you're trapped and cornered in a burning building and you've got a beam over your leg, you can't run in after yourself and say, I'll save you and I'll pull you out of the burning building. What? You need someone to come in and rescue you and deliver you and pull you out. Jesus is that person that came to rescue us from ourselves and rescue us from condemnation. We couldn't save ourselves, not our religion, not our good deeds, not our anything else, because our sin still remained. It's kind of like when you paint parts of your car. I remember having, uh, like, I used to drive a 2004 uh, Subaru Outback Sport, okay? And that particular vehicle had a problem with its back wheel wells. And if you've ever owned a Subaru from that year and time, you knew what the problem was. That there would always be this little edge over the wheel in which salt and debris and other things would get into it. Well, you know what would happen? It was it would rust. It would rust right over the wheel well. And you could paint over that rust if you wanted to. And for a little while, it might look like it's fine. But guess what happens over time? The rust eventually says, you know what? I think you need a little bit more brown to your car, so I'm just going to come to the surface here, and I'm just going to not only show up, but I'm also going to put a nice little hole in your wheel well, too. And that's the way sin is. We're just trying to put layers and coats of paint over bad decisions and bad behaviors from the past as though somehow that will be okay. Maybe we even come to church that way. We've just put a nice coat of paint on, and we walk in, and we make everybody think everything's okay, but it's really not. It's really just a coat of paint that will show through. It's kind of like when you go to Fenway Park, and if you've ever been to the home of the Red Sox, where the Red Sox play, you see the banisters, and the, the park's 100 and I think 12 years old at this point, I think. 105, I can't remember exactly. But, like, there's railings there that, like, I'm not sure there's even a railing left anymore. It's just, like, there's so many layers of paint on it that's mostly just paint. Like, they they don't even, like, you know, cut it down or sand it off. They just, another coat. And it's, like, this big, thick, like, uneven coat of paint that's on these railings. And you're like, that just looks terrible. Everything else is, like, clean and nice and modern. And that just looks terrible. But that's how we're trying to portray our lives. We're trying to put another coat of paint, another good deed, another good action. You know, we, we hopefully if we do enough good actions, God will see our good actions and he'll credit us as being good enough to get into heaven. It doesn't work that way. The rust always comes through. What's underneath always comes out. Instead of that, we need God to give us a brand new start. When you understand God's love, as a rescuing love, it changes the way you look at his love. You begin to love him for what he did for you and what he brought you out of. 
remembering what you used to be like, the things that you used to say, the things that you used to do. You remember what your life was like beforehand. You may have been discouraged, downcast, and depressed, but you came to the Lord and you recognized and you didn't even just hear about God's love. You experienced God's love. It wasn't just something that somebody told you. It was something you experienced in your heart. You felt God's love when you accepted him as Savior. You felt the Spirit of God enter you at that moment, and you felt the joy and the love and the elation that God had for you. You experienced that when you encounter God's love. It will change the way that you look at him and the way that you look at love. It's a different kind of love. It's a love for someone who saved your life. Instead of seeing God trying to win your affection or woo you towards salvation, realize he's already done everything he needs to do to win you over. I'll say it again. In case you think to yourself, well, God, well, maybe if you give me another sign of who you are, maybe if you convince me, maybe if you answer this prayer, I'll finally believe that you're real and I'll finally put my faith in you. Listen, if he, does, if he needs to win you over, he's already done the biggest thing he could ever do to win you over. He gave his life for you. He, he fought the forces of hell for you. He resurrected from the dead and sat at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for you. What else do you need him to do? What more do we need to ask of him? Well, I'm not sure if you're really there. I'm not sure if you're real. Prove yourself to me. And he's already done everything he needs to prove it to us. Fourthly, his love is redemption. Now, redemption is exchanging one thing for another. I know you probably don't do this very often, but if you had a can and you turn the can in, you get five cents for the can. In some parts of the country, maybe it's 10 cents, and you take that can and you trade it in for something else. Or you redeem. Maybe if you have points, you know, you have a a rewards card for Dunkin' Donuts, and I like my Dunkin' Donuts. I like driving through the drive-thru, and I love the Dunkin' Donuts app now because now I can earn more coffee. Okay, I can earn things that I didn't have before. And it seems like it was super easy to do at the beginning of that, but now it seems like it takes longer. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe I'm just not paying attention enough. But either way, I'm redeeming those points so I can get something out of it, right? I saved it up. I put it together. Now I can get it. Go to the gas station. We love this now, too, because gas is awful, okay? It's through the roof. And so you're like, you'll drive 15 minutes across town just to find a station that has less gas and takes your stop and shop or reward points so you can save that extra, extra 15 cents off a gallon. What are you doing? You're redeeming something to get something back. Christ redeemed us that there was nothing of worth to us, but he gave his life for us so that we might receive salvation. He's exchanging his life for ours. We deserve death. We deserve separation for God. We deserve punishment. But he gave himself for us so that we might have life. And we might enjoy the benefits of salvation and the benefits of the closeness in relationship with God. His love was demonstrated by his coming and was completed with his death on the cross for us. In doing so, he took the punishment for our sins. We can't for a moment think that God's love is is something that we can take or leave. When we look at the cross and when we think about Easter every year and we think about what he went through on the cross for us, and he didn't just do it for the people that were there witnessing it that day. 
He did it for every person sitting in this room. He endured intense suffering at the hands of sinful men so that we could receive redemption and we could receive salvation. We should never take for granted the redemption. We should never take for granted what he gave for us because it's something that we could have never given for ourselves. By doing so, he canceled our debt of sin and gave us a chance at freedom. When someone sets you free, love follows. When someone gives you a tangible sign of their love, when you see like how much that meant, it's kind of like if somebody came to you and said, you know, today I'm coming to you and I'm going to pay off your mortgage today. Have you ever watched those shows where that happens? The person cries, the person hugs them, the person just loves that person because, why, you did something amazing for me that I couldn't have done for myself. We have to look at Christ's love that way, that he did something so amazing for us that we can receive his love and give him the love he deserves. Without proper understanding of love, we don't understand, number five, reconciliation. We would still be enemies of God without the cross. It made it possible for us to have a relationship with God, a restoration of what Adam had in the garden with God the Father. I want you to think about Genesis chapters 1 through 3 where we see uh, Adam and Eve, the first created people, and God had a very special relationship with them, that he talked with them, that he conversed with them in the cool of the day. Imagine uh, being able to interact with God in such a way that you physically and tangibly see him, you can hear his voice, you can talk to him, and he responds. That's the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden. God desires and wants a relationship with us once again. But it's kind of like the offenses of our past got in the way of that. It's like if you and I were friends and uh, behind your back I was saying things about you that I thought you smelled bad and you were a lousy dresser. And that got, somehow got back to you. You might still be my friend, but you might be mad at me and refuse to acknowledge me or interact with me. So it is with our relationship with God. Sin is the offense before God. Sin is so offensive to him that there can be no relationship as long as that offense, that elephant sits in the room. So until we have that removed through Christ, when we seek his forgiveness and choose to follow after him, that remains. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says this, you were once alienated from God and enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What he's saying is that through Christ, what he did, we are now forgiven and made righteous before God. We can come to him. The offense has been removed if we choose to believe in him. If we ask for God's forgiveness, that offense is removed, and now we can interact and have a deep relationship with God. My desire for you today, and it's been the desire for my own children, is that you would have a deep, longing, meaningful relationship with God. I can probably speak for your parents, too, if you're growing up in church, and if you're grown children, their desire for you is that you have a, have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. Not church, not religion, but a relationship with God in which He is the guiding and directing force in every decision of your life. 
Reconciliation means that we have a relationship with God, and now God directs our path. Now God shows us the way. We are now removed from being enemies of God, and now we are made friends with God because of that. Genuine salvation, let's talk about that. Genuine salvation requires three things. This is not ABCs of salvation or anything like that, but I want you to take a look at these three things. Number one, genuine salvation requires faith. Believing in the Son who gives life. Jesus said, whoever believes on the Son shall have life. John 3, 36, he said, he who believes on the Son has life, but he who rejects the Son, not just, and, and, and whoever rejects him does not have life. So not just believing that Jesus existed, not just believing that Jesus is one of many ways to heaven and to God. It's about looking at Jesus as the only way and trusting him as your source for salvation. It starts with faith. Secondly, you have to forsake the old life. Listen, this is not just something you add to your life as though you're adding like salt to a dinner or sugar to your cooking. This is not something you add to it and say, okay, I've had a pretty good life and now I'm adding Jesus too. It's saying that, you know, I'm leaving my old life behind and I'm following a new life in Christ. I'm dying to myself and I'm having a new birth in him. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. Shouldn't we forsake the very thing that put him there in the first place? He saved us out of that life so that we might fully live for him. God doesn't want us to lead two lives. Sometimes as Christians that happens. We're Christian on Sunday, but during the week we're ourselves. We're Christian when other Christians are around. But when we're with non-Christians, they either don't know that we're a Christian or they're surprised to hear that we're a Christian when we finally tell them. They're like, oh, really? That's never a good reaction. I'm just going to tell you. If you tell your friends and your coworkers you're a Christian, they're like, really? That's not a great reaction. You don't want that reaction. You want like, I always kind of knew there was something different about you. Or I want what you have. It's never like, yeah, right. You don't want that reaction. So God doesn't want us to lead a double life. He wants us to lead a life that's fully committed to him. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, he said, uh, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, this is an interesting passage when you think about this is written before Jesus went to the cross. This was probably very confusing to his disciples to hear. Because only criminals took up crosses. Only criminals took them up. And the cross always, almost always meant death. You weren't typically carrying it for someone else, although that did happen from time to time. So the cross meant death. Jesus is being very clear. He's like, you need to take up your cross. In other words, your faith in me needs to take on a dimension where you're leaving your old life behind and you're choosing to walk with him. Die to your old self, your old way of thinking, your old habits and demeanors, and choose to be born again into a new life in Christ. Thirdly and finally, salvation is about following him. Come and follow me, Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus didn't save us to have a passive 
Christian life. Jesus didn't save us so that we could come to church one day a week and maybe commit to something else. Or maybe go to another Bible study. Or, you know, when we got to a place where we're kind of like, we've decided that we've just, we're on the final back nine of our life and our Christian walk. And we say, well, I've done all the stuff I needed to do for him in the earlier part of my life. I'm just kind of coasting with the last part of it. Listen, if we look at the scriptures, we know that Moses, you know, saw the burning bush, I believe, when he was uh, 80, and he was 120, you know, by the time he finally led the people into the promised land. So, like, don't give me the age excuse that you're retired from God and doing things for him. We should be of the mindset, like, listen, I'm going to be active for the Lord because I love him. I'm going to do stuff for him. It's kind of like our relationship with, with people that we love. It's like, okay, we don't stop loving our kids. We don't stop loving our spouse. And we don't stop doing things for them because we understand, like, we've been loving them for a long time. And maybe it feels like our love is not as exciting anymore. Instead, we say, you know, God, I love you. And I want to passionately love you and follow you all of my days until my dying day. He delivered us so that we would live selflessly for him serving God's purposes in the world. He didn't save us to sit us down. Listen, you were active for the world beforehand. No one could stop you. You were a whirlwind of destruction, and people got out of your way. But then somehow when you become a Christian, we become like kind of passive. We sit on the sidelines, and we don't do anything for God. But the same passion that you had before you were a Christian, maintain that passion in your following and your love towards God. God's love was so great that it calls us to deeper devotion and calls us to service to him. It's one of the ways we show our love back to God. But if we view God's love in a passive way, we treat his love as something that can be easily thrown away. It becomes love without action, love without devotion, love without compassion. We show our love to God and to others by following him and being his representative in the world. He saved us to give us a fresh start. We're born again into a new life with him. But it doesn't mean that like, hey, we're born again, and then we just sit around doing nothing all the time. We're born again to follow after him and to do great things for his kingdom. To not only uh, live worthy of the life he's given us, but to show others the love of God in our life. And you'll see it differently. You'll see God's love differently when you finally come to a realization of what it really means. God's love is not just something you add to your life. It becomes your life. This morning, I just want to take a moment and we can just close our eyes for just a moment with an honest moment before us and God. I don't know where you're at. You know, some of you I know and some of you don't, I don't know. But Jesus came to show us his love. He came to, because he recognized that we were in a place where we were not right with God. Even where you are right now. Whether you were raised in church, whether you were raised in the world, it doesn't matter. There has to be a point in your life where you decide to accept Jesus as the only way to heaven. Where you recognized your need for him. Not just as another love among the many loves in your life but that it was a love that God gave you that can save you and change your life forever. There should be a moment in your life where you can reflect upon and say, I remember the day that I decided to do that. 
I remember the moment that I decided to pray that prayer, that moment I decided to give my life to Jesus. If you can't think of that, then it probably didn't happen. So there needs to be a moment in your life where you say, today, if I haven't done that, then today's the day I'm doing that. With no one else looking around, no one else uh, looking at what people are doing, just this morning, if you, can't, if you can say to yourself, I don't ever remember accepting love, God's love and praying to receive his love, but you want to do that today, will you just simply slip up a hand quietly without anyone looking around? I can't remember a day where I actually decided to do that. Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Anyone else? This morning, I believe God's speaking. Saying, I want you to understand, really understand my love for you. And you can say to yourself, okay, today's the day. I don't remember doing it before. I can't give you a date or time where I did it, but today's the day I'm going to do it. I wonder if we can pray this prayer together. Maybe you've prayed it before, maybe you haven't. But I want you to pray this prayer with me as a sign of solidarity with those who are deciding to make that decision for the first time today. When we pray, we're praying a prayer of faith and asking God for forgiveness, and we're asking him to come into our lives. So when you pray this and you mean it, you say, today's the day, I'm going to follow Jesus. When you pray this prayer and you mean it with your heart, then you are choosing to start the road of walking with him. I wonder if you can help me with this today you'd repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name I pray. Amen. Can we just give a hand clap for those who prayed that prayer for the first time today? This is your day. This is your moment. The new walk with God begins today. It's no longer, you're like, well, I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm a Christian. No, today you decided I'm going to be one. Today begins your journey of being a Christian. Today began your moment where you are forgiven of your sins and you've been given a new life in Christ. Don't go backwards. Go forward. I wonder if we can pray, too, that God would help us. We're the church. And maybe if you heard this message today, you're like, he's preaching on salvation. I've heard that before. I know you have. But sometimes we need to be reminded of it. The purpose of this today is the reason why we need to get this right is because what are we telling people why they need to accept God, why they need to accept Christ? Are we just telling them God loves them, God loves them, and they just don't care? Or are we showing them their need for God and why God's love is important and meaningful to the situation? It's important we get a hold of this today. So my prayer today for you is that we would get a hold of this and see God's love differently and communicate it differently. Instead of trying to recruit people, hey, God's great, he's fun, he'll do whatever you want, you know, you just pray. You're giving them a false sense of hope. You really are. You're trying to sell them on the best things about God instead of 
recognizing there's a part of this where they have to choose to follow him and leave things behind. Why? Because they need him. My prayer for us today is that we get a hold of this. Can we pray together? Let's pray. God, we just pray today. Help us to understand what your love truly means. Help us to understand mankind's need for love and salvation. Help us to understand that we are all just saved by your mercy and grace, Lord, and we are eternally grateful for that. And Lord, we have a responsibility to share that love with other people. So Lord, today, Lord, burn this truth deep in our hearts so that we would live by it, walk by it, and be about it today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.